Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Jennifer Phillips Russo. I'm the Viticulture Extension Specialist with the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program. We are a program that consists of Cornell University Specialists and PSU or Penn State University Specialists. And this is housed, this podcast Between the Vines is housed with PSU. So thank you for joining us again this week. My co-host today is again, Dr. Terry Bates, the director of the Cornell Lake Erie Research and Extension Laboratory in Portland, New York. Terry and I are here talking about his many decades of work that he's been doing in the Concord. Don't even sound that old. (laughs) (laughs) Which helps everything that we then extend to you as the growers on why we give recommendations and why we talk about nutrition in certain ways and the basis behind it, all the research and how we came to those conclusions. The old crotchety viticultures. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being here, Terry. Angry viticultures. That'll be my, my next, you know, Oh, your show. next podcast? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about, okay, so we're still working through our top 10. And we talked about the little dig and about nutrient distribution within plants. And if I can get on the right screen. And then we talked about the big dig study, which was kind of the same thing as a little dig study, but with more mature vines, more timings throughout the season and more information. And again, we talked about, let's reframe it again. Nutrition to me is about supply, uptake and demand. And so far the the big dig and little dig talked about vine demand. Um, This number three, our Concord vine excavation studies, uh, some of these seem like they're out of order, but to me, they're more chronological. Uh, so as part of the big dig, we did a lot of digging <laughs> early on. Um, and especially in the West Tier trial and the what we call the Old North of the Willows trial that we're both at the Fredonia Lab. And they're both leftover research projects that Nelson Shawless had planted like in the 1950s. And he, his go-to rootstock at the time was 3309 rootstock, although there was, there were other rootstocks like 3306 and uh, there was another, there was another one that were part of another study. Anyways, and I will talk about the West Tier experiment because I think that's my next, you know, that's my podcast or uh, whatever. <laughs> Top 10 number four is the West Tier factorial, which will talk a little bit about own rooted versus grafted vines. But in a nutshell, you definitely see that there's different performance of Concord vines on their own roots versus Concord vines grafted onto 3309 rootstock. And we, part of our root excavation studies were like, just to, again, an exploratory thing of what's going on underground? Where are these roots growing? Um, how does it impact our management strategies? So, I'm yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just for our listeners, and you're probably going to get to this, but I wanted them to have a little background as you're talking. 3309 rootstock, you would do that why? Like, we'll get I, to that. <laughs> I figured. So <laughs> uh, th- there are many reasons why you would use a different rootstock. And it, the, for me, the number one is below ground pest and disease management. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we do get into like what kind of vigor uh, is the rootstock imparting on the scion. 
So there's a viticulture aspect to that. There's a nutrition aspect to that. We see different nutrient uptake with different rootstocks. Um, so, I mean, there's stuff like disease management, ease of grafting. But from a viticulturist perspective, we want to know how is that rootstock causing the vine to grow different? How is it affecting water uptake? How is it affecting nutrient uptake? And how can we use that in our management strategy? Okay. Uh, but I will I'll talk a little bit about phylloxera because that's really the main reason. Um, as far as nutrient uptake goes, so plants take up nutrients kind of in three ways, right? One is the root can intercept a nutrient in the soil. So like the root actually grows <laughs> into a, the same space as where the, the nutrients are being desorbed off, to, off of soil particles. Um, but that accounts for actually a very low percentage of nutrient uptake. Uh, another way a nutrient can get can go to the root through a process called mass flow. So like it rains, water goes through the soil. And as that water goes through the soil, the nutrients are also going through and it goes up against the root and the root can take it up. That also is not a big part of nutrient uptake, right? It's very transient, right? It rains, the water flows, and then it's not anymore. The, the majority of the way that nutrients get taken up is through diffusion. So you have a nutrient that's on a soil particle and it desorbs off, or you have uh, microorganisms that are interacting with those nutrients. And those diffuse through the soil moisture to the root system and where the root can then take it up. Uh, so understanding like, you know, where are the roots growing? How dense are the roots? Uh, all leads to this, you know, understanding how the grapevines can take up nutrients. So it's more than just roots in the dirt, in the soil. Yeah, and and like grapevines are a vine, right? right. <laughs> the above ground, above ground parts are very viney, right? They're they're meant to grow up other structures like trees, searching for sunlight. And below ground, they're very viney too, right? They have these long. Uh, Alan Laxo always said it was like a buried, like cable line underground. Like you'd pick up a root and you'd start pulling it, and you just keep pulling it for a long time. They're very viney underground too. They're trying to explore soil volume, but they have very low rooting density. So there's not like a lot of fine roots. And so they're not, not like a grass where a grass has high rooting density and you have all these fine fibrous roots sitting in one spot and they're really trying to excavate or explore that soil volume that's right there. Grapevines tend to be what we call more plastic that they're, they grow through the soil and then they find something they like. So like, it's very interesting when you dig up these root systems and there's either like a decaying, like old cordon that got buried or some organic matter, a dead animal or something that like <laughs> is buried in the soil. Like when the root system, when a grape root system hits it, it just explodes right there and it tries to take up all the nutrients it can um, and then moves on. So we did a lot of root excavations between own rooted Concord vines, which most of our grape vines are own rooted. Um, and 3309 rootstock. And like the big thing that jumps out at you right away. So these pictures are, I think they're from where the West here factorial was, is that the own rooted Concord are very spreading root systems. The roots we have what we call spreaders and sinkers. <laughs> and this would be a great 
physiology study for some PhD student, or maybe it's already been done somewhere about what is the the physiological and genetic response of grapevines to gravity and, and how like different roots within a particular root system are responding to gravity differently. Some like with own root of Concord tend to spread out um, along the ground or just, you know, it very shallowy because that's where most of the good stuff is. There's organic matter, there's, um, you know, cation exchange going on with soil particles, but then there's some sinkers that, you know, our assumption is that they're exploring for water deeper into the soil profile. So what makes those two different roots like different? They're, they're sensing and responding to their environment differently. Right. And 3309, um, so I believe the parents of 3309 are um, Riparia and Repestris. So two different parents, but the resulting system, like almost all of the roots go straight down. <laughs> so not, not a lot of spreading. So I highly encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and Google this podcast so that you can see the difference between the excavated root structures. They have them painted white and it's very clear, <clears throat> excuse me, to see the difference between own rooted and 3309. It's cool. Thanks. Yeah, if you can, if you can see the page. So <laughs> I always thought this was really interesting. Um, the, the picture of 3309 where the roots are growing straight out. So it looks like like right at the base of the vine that the roots went straight out and then they turned like 90 degrees and went straight down. And when you think about how those vines were planted back in 1955 or whatever, that they had a trench and that somebody physically with their hands laid those roots out and put them in the hole. And then immediately they turned and started responding to gravity and, and went straight down. So what does that mean? Um, okay, so you asked the question, why do we use a rootstock? <laughs> so we did a bunch of work with phylloxera. Some of it was, was with Greg Loeb, um, entomologist at Cornell. So this picture, this is own rooted Concord, both, all of it is, both pictures are own rooted. So if, for those of you who aren't actually looking at the picture, <laughs> we have one picture of a very healthy root system with a lot of fine fleshy roots, which has a lot of absorptive surface area for water and nutrients, very healthy. And the result is that the vines off of those root systems are bigger, healthier, you know, um, and they don't have phylloxera. So we kept phylloxera off of those vines. Um, so we use like this fine mesh netting and <laughs> uh, and then the the picture on the right, it, for those of you who can't see it, is it looks like uh, a root system that's kind of more like buried cable, and it doesn't have a lot of fine fleshy roots, and there's a lot of nodules with on, on the root. So phylloxera makes a thing called a nodosity and a tuberosity. And in Concord, they make these nodosities. So they kind of get in to the fine fleshy roots and start eating them and they get swollen and they get hooked and it, and it, it kills the absorptive surface area of that root system. Tuberosities tend to happen on vinifera varieties where you actually get a gall that chokes the vine out and kills it. That's why vinifera are considered more susceptible to phylloxera. It's very evident between the two. Yeah, so we say that Concord roots are tolerant, but not resistant to phylloxera. 
The Phylloxera attacks them. They're there. Phylloxera is everywhere. Every every own rooted Concord system or Niagara system that I've dug up has got Phylloxera on it. There's like, I've never gone, hey, look at this root system. That's really cool. There's no Phylloxera on it. No, the, the fine fleshy roots almost always have Phylloxera on it. And if you could keep Phylloxera away, you would increase vine size and yield. And there's been a little work done by Greg Loeb recently on some chemical products. Uh, let's see, Admire Pro, we dripped on the ground. And Movento is one you spray on the leaves that is supposed to, you know, it it go down through the vine and it would kill the phylloxera on the roots. And I think that needs more exploration. So we did it with Concord and we did see a bump in vine size and Greg Loeb could give you more of the specifics on that. I think it needs more work to like, from a financial standpoint, is it cost effective to spray this on the vines? You know, how often do you have to do it? Can you hammer away at it for two or three years and then kind of get rid of the phylloxera in your vineyard and then don't have to spray it anymore? I think there's some questions there um, that are very relevant to our industry in that if you could increase vine size and yield from this very physical or physiological response of, I don't have fine fleshy roots to take up water and nutrients. I do have fine fleshy roots to take up water and nutrients um, just by keeping that that pest away. Um, okay, so let's go, let's switch gears and talk about own rooted vines versus ones grafted to 3309 rootstock. So again, just based on looking at the root distribution, um, we could see, so in years where we have very dry summers, so let me explain this chart a little bit. <laughs> so the... When Concord grapevines respond to water stress, there are pores that are on the underside of the leaves called stomates or stomata. And the guard cells that, so the stomates is the pore itself. And the gas exchange happens through those pores. So CO2 comes in for photosynthesis and water goes out um, through those pores. And the guard cells that are around the stomata will, if they're turgid, they're open. So like if that cell has plenty of water <laughs> or has a signal that the vine is well watered, the stomates stay open, photosynthesis happens, and we lose water from those vines. As the vine dries or as the soil dries down and the vine starts to experience water stress, it tries to conserve its water by closing the stomates. Now, the bad thing about that is when you close the stomates, you do less photosynthesis. So like less sugar production that's going to go into your fruit. Um, so we measured this in vines, own-rooted vines versus grafted vines during a dry period. This Okay, so this happened to be in 2002, 1999 was another one. Probably we could have done it last year when we had that dry July um, and really what you see is that all the vines grafted to 3309 rootstock had very, during a dry period, continued to have high leaf photosynthesis. And we, we also measure uh, vine water status by midday stem potential with a pressure, what we call a pressure bomb, a pressure chamber. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do is you, you, you bag up a leaf in the morning and that's supposed to kind of equilibrate 
the water status of the vine. And then at noon, we go and we cut that leaf off. We put it in a pressure chamber and we squeeze it with air pressure. And we measure the, the sap will come out the stem of the leaf. And I think that I always explain this like a sponge. So if I have a sponge and it's saturated with water and I go to squeeze it, I don't have to squeeze it very hard and the water comes out. If I have a sponge that has very little water in it, I have to squeeze it really hard before I can get the, the remaining water to come out. So this is acting the same way. A well-watered leaf, you don't have to squeeze it very hard and sap comes out the stem. And if, it's, if it is dry and the stomates are closed and there's not a lot of water, you have to squeeze it really hard to get that to come out. So the leaf photosynthesis and the stem water potential are related. <laughs> So, graf yeah, grafted vines tended to have maintained their high leaf photosynthesis because they maintained good vine water status and their stomates stayed open and continued to do photosynthesis during that dry period. So that's like a, a really big benefit. So not only are they phloxer 3309 is phloxer resistant, it also has this different root distribution that's picking up water. Ownerated vines that tend to be shallow and spreading, right? They dry down, or if you have competitive covers in the row middle, you know, that soil dries down quicker. Those roots are sitting in drier soil that translates to the vine. It closes its stomates to conserve water. And then, you know, it has less photosynthesis, but, and you also measure that in, in stem potential. Um, so just the, the big part about this is, you know, the grafted vines stayed well watered and the own rooted vines um, ran out of water. And so it would be a benefit to have our vines grafted onto a phylloxera resistant and deeper rooted root system in our unirrigated systems. I was just going to get to ask you that question. I was gonna say, so are we being uh, cheerleaders here for 3309 on gravel soil in Western New York? Uh, and, yeah, well, no. Yeah. Nelson Chalice was. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are other management issues associated with grafting a vine. So you're dealing with a graft union, which can be more cold tender. If you want to replace a vine, you can't just do a dipper. dipper. You actually have to, yeah, you have to replace it with another grafted vine. The other negative thing, so <laughs> on this chart, so we're comparing your stomatal conductance and photosynthesis. So we're the amount of water stress these vines are under in a dry year of 1999 and a wet year of 2000. So this kind of shows the weakness of 3309 or both the strength and the weakness of 3309. So in a very dry year, so the, the red dots are all 3309. And in a dry year, again, they maintain their stomates are open, photosynthesis is going great, and that's awesome. And in a dry year, Nelson Chalice used to say this, in a dry year, 3309 is superior to own-rooted vines in a dry season because they maintain photosynthesis, maintain sugar production, and maintain bricks in your fruit. And where own-rooted vines, they tend to dry down, right? The stomates close, less photosynthesis, less sugar in the fruit, and they would have, at the same yield, would have lower sugar. But in a wet year, all of the vines maintained high photosynthetic rate, right? The vines are well-watered, right? They're going to maintain high photosynthesis, whether you're own-rooted or grafted. Kind of maintain this relationship that you had higher stomatal conductance in 3309 than own rooted vines, right? So 
not only are they well watered, they're over well watered. (laughs) And the negative side of that is that you would have big berries and you would dilute your bricks in that year. So in wet years, own rooted vines were superior to 3309 vines because of this dilution effect, right? So both root systems or both vines, vines on both root systems maintain the same amount of photosynthesis, maintain the same amount of sugar production. So if you measure it on a how much, how many grams of sugar did those vines produce? They're the same. It's just that the 3309, the, the berries are so pumped up with water that it dilutes that sugar and that you measure that as bricks because bricks is a concentration measurement. So you may have, okay, I've got these two vines. They're both eight tons per acre, but one's got lower brick. Well, the 309 should be a little bit higher in tonnage because the berry weight's higher. But like if you're comparing <laughs> apples to apples or grapes right. to grapes, you're you're diluting those bricks. So like I'm trying in a year where you're trying to get sugar concentration up to 16 or 16 and a half bricks, you have a really hard time doing that with 3309. Got it. That makes sense. And all of these were done at the same yields. That's what my question was earlier too. Yeah. So I almost pulled out another chart before (laughs) before we started this. I'm like, oh, I need this one chart. So we did it across a range of yields. And it shows like on single curtain and double curtain. So on single curtain, it basically shows the same relationship that in wet years, at a given yield, you have lower bricks than 3309 because of this dilution effect. And that same re- relationship held, but was at a higher <laughs> bricks level in Geneva double curtain. And the interesting thing about that graph is like, uh, own rooted vines on single curtain and GDC vines on 3309. Did I say that right? So own rooted vines, single curtain, grafted vines, double curtain had the same um, kind of yield bricks relationship. So it's like, oh, if you're gonna if you're gonna use three three oh nine, put it on GDP. Yeah. To be able to get that higher yield and higher bricks. Cool. Uh yeah. This okay, we can we can pretty much end here. So here's some root excavation stuff. This is my final slide. We did it at the Betts farm and we wanted to sh- I put this up here to show the compaction. Um oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, so where the so we did not in all of our excavation studies we don't see a lot of like when we did them at Ferdonia we didn't see a lot of compaction i mean a little compaction maybe like two three inches you would see this compacted layer and the roots you would just see it that the roots would grow to the compaction layer and they'd go down a little bit and underneath it and then they would just keep spreading in this particular case we saw some pretty significant um, so, I mean, you're, you're talking, I don't know, 75 years of driving a tractor in the same spot in the vineyard, um, and they would got some compaction. And there about was some inches? root, part of me? Not about 12 inches, like trying to judge by the... Um, it was, I would, I'd give it more like 24 inches, and it probably went, could have gone deeper in spots. Uh, and there were some roots actually that because of the higher organic matter low in the upper soil profile, they actually grape roots would grow almost across the top of it 
and then try to get yeah. into the row center. But for the most part, it would hit this this wall. And you know, if you get if you get um, on a soil compaction meter, I think it's 200 psi. Yes. If you get yeah, if you hit 200 psi, the roots won't grow through it. That that was actually some work done by Dave Faree at Ohio State University years and years ago. Looked at compaction and and uh, grapevine root growth. I should just uh, mention before you go on, because you did mention the name of the farm and this is that they had the compaction. This is why they started their compaction cover cropping to break it up. So. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I think we could probably almost go back to the same spot um, in this vineyard. I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but yes, now Bob has done years and years of cover cropping and he's probably broken up that compaction layer. Um, and you could go back and, you know, see where the root distribution is going. But that's for somebody much younger than me that's going <laughs> to jump in a hole with a pitchfork. And <laughs> um, so anyways, we got all these roots growing underneath the vines and they're not they're not able to spread and explore more soil volume. Then we went into this whole thing about nutrition that underneath the vines, because of banding of fertilizer and and um, having nitrogen under there, which has an acidifying effect on the soil, that like underneath the vines, the you had a, a less lower pH. Yeah, you didn't have as good of a soil environment, right? Lower soil pH, lower CEC, so you have kind of a, a, not a great system. And then out in the row center, things were much better, but you couldn't get the roots out into the row center, and um, and whatever. So that just talks about why you should break up compaction in your vineyard and you should promote root growth across the whole vineyard. And um, and even directing your soil samples, like where right. the, you know, understand where the roots are growing in your vineyard and taking your soil samples where your roots are growing so that you can modify and amend the soil environment where the roots are actually growing. So... Let's see. That's it. Look at that. Yeah, we'll talk about it's all there's so three through a nine is not the only rootstock out there. One of my top ten, I think number nine is about a rootstock trial I did, and we can talk more about that later. But I love all this work that we're doing underground to explain why. Yeah. There's Paula Joy sitting <laughs> in a trench. Spraying, we would we would spray the the roots. Of course, the roots look like the soil, so it's very tough to get a picture of them. But we would spray them white, and just so we could see where they were growing. Well, that's all great information. Yep. We really appreciate you sharing it with us, and I hope you all stay tuned for number four coming up. Hopefully, keep in mind we are this is the start of the growing season for us, and things start to get a little bit crazy. So if we can't do it on a weekly basis, we'll try to do it as often as possible to make sure that you get the information you need. And if you have any questions or comments, please leave them below if you're looking at this on our YouTube page or feel free to email me to give us suggestions and I'll pass anything on to Terry that you send in. Thank you everybody for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Terry. Thank you.